I'm an indigenous man, so I was always looking for that other guy on site, you know, that might have been another Murray fella you could have a, have a yarn with, but there was none around, not in our industry. Um, yeah, I don't know, that's what sparked me, I suppose, and inspired me to start my business originally, and I wanted to give um, those opportunities to indigenous boys or girls and try and be a bit of a role model for those guys, to be honest, so... I'm Teresa Hudson, coordinator of the Community Information Centre. And in today's episode of Brave, I'm sitting down with Michael Preen, owner-operator of CBD Electrical. Michael is a trade-qualified electrician and a proud Indigenous man. These traits have given him a passion to provide opportunities for the next generation and to support them to break the well-documented cycle of addiction and violence. Michael Preen is a man to keep an eye on. This episode of Brave was produced across the lands of the Bindal and Woolgarugaba people. The Community Information Centre acknowledges and pays respects to the traditional owners of this country. Mick, tell me first of all, what does CBD Electrical stand for? Uh, pretty basic. It, it was um, just the central business district of Townsville. Nice. Yeah. Easy. Okay, I was looking Very for easy. something more behind <laughs> No, fairly basic, so yeah, that's how we basic started it good. off. Yep. So CBD Electrical, you're based at the Townsville Business Development Centre, TBDC. Yeah, um, that's correct. What got you into that premises? Um, we I worked out of a shed at home for probably two years. And um, yeah, just with the expansion and um, we needed that office space to get me away from um, home as well, I suppose. Yeah, when you're working from home, it can be um, mm. monotonous and also it feels like you never get to escape it either if you're working from home and living there. Yeah, it's easy just to to go down to the um, office down the back and keep working and you sort of don't get that break for your personal life, I suppose. Yeah. So with your business, are you an electrical contractor or your electrical business? Is there a difference? Uh, it's the same thing, I suppose. You have to be an electrical contractor to deliver works for anyone in the public commercial residential industrial so um to put it in layman's terms if you do an apprenticeship you're an electrician so you can work for an electrical contractor um but if you're an electrician you just can't go and do work for the public right Hmm. what got you into becoming an electrician Oh, I always had an interest in the electrical um, industry. Were you that kid growing up that was always sticking <laughs> things in PowerPoints? <laughs> no, not really. But <laughs> yeah, I'd mucked around with a few little electrical circuit boards and that when I was young. Um, I don't know if I was really passionate about being an electrician, to be honest, but um, I was working in a mine as a TA, looking to do a trade, so I, I had a future. So I started doing some calculations, I suppose, where my life was going and I thought if I'm an electrician I can work in the city I can do work in the mining or resource sector and you still get paid fairly well if you're working in the city or if you you know if you're willing to go into the resource sector where you get paid very well but it comes with being away from family Mm. and and um friends and whatnot and how old were you can I ask when you were TAing to when you made that decision to go into an apprenticeship um I was 21 So I'd floated around and did a few odds and ends. And then um, I had my daughter fairly young. So that's when it um, 
sort of got me engaged to want to get a trade and make sure I had a, a well-paying job and mm. so I could support uh, my daughter. So at 21, 22, would that be considered a mature age student going into a apprenticeship by that time or not really? Yeah, it is. Because like you said, you've got a daughter by this stage and um, going into an apprenticeship, wages are quite low. How did you find that transition going from a TA job into a trade apprenticeship? Um, yeah, it was a bit of a step back, but um, I was trying to think long term. So I had a chat with the boss working for four years um, in a few different roles. I think I brought a, a bit more experience than someone straight out of school. So, And he saw that fairly quickly and paid me accordingly, I suppose, a little bit more. And, and I made sure I was committed and and yeah, took everything on that I could, to be honest. So, cool. So you finished once you finished your trade. Did you go straight into run your own business? Uh no. I worked for three other companies over oh, probably six years to try and further my skills. So I was doing commercial, big commercial projects. Um, I jumped into the resource sector, mining, for a little while to try and get my head around. Um, Logistics that industry and red tape and so that's um, oh it's, they're completely different industries to be honest so just trying to understand that sort of the electrical industry and then um dabbling in some solar domestic sort of work and generators to um advance myself there and yeah take a bit of confidence into business when i started yeah so what were your big takeaways then for working for other companies and the experience that you took along the way that helped shape you to where you are today um i worked for a couple of bigger companies and saw how they conducted their business and and uh, when you're in in a company of that size it's a it, i don't know it's a little bit um different looking from outside and you think well these guys are you know look at the size of the company they're so prepared and organized but when you're actually involved in one of these bigger companies they're not um organized they're not prepared it's a little bit of um winging things at times so that's something i looked at and thought wow if because they're some of the companies i wanted to work for and and when i'm there i'm thinking this isn't what i thought it was going to be so i sort of took that on board with my company and and make sure we do things professionally and we do what we say we're going to do and we deliver on it so Mm. we captured something similar to that concept earlier on in our podcast series with another gentleman around sometimes the most negative experiences or can be the most positive experiences mm, that shape you. Um, and I know I've had those experiences um, in my working career as well, that I've probably benefited from those negative experiences more than the positive. Yeah, definitely. That's it. Um, I think that's how you learn a negative experience or a failure. Yeah. I've heard your story before and it was told in the BD mag that a big part of that was walking onto a site and not seeing the Indigenous community represented in this industry very well. Why is that something that has sparked in you to go, oh, this is something that I want to be supportive in? Yeah, on a personal level, I'm an Indigenous man, so I was always looking for that other guy on site, you know, that might have been another Murray fella you could have a, have a yarn with, but there was none around, not in our industry. Um Every now and then I'd see see one Sparky that was a Murray lad or, you know, you'd sort of have a bit of yarn with a few people. And, yeah, I don't know, that's what sparked me, I suppose, and inspired me to start my business originally. And I wanted to give um, those opportunities to Indigenous boys or girls and try and be a bit of a role model for those guys, to be honest. So, mm. 
What's that journey been like? Oh uh, yeah, it has it, yeah, ups and downs, as you can imagine. Um, any staff, we have ups and downs. Any staff, um, understanding um, some of these kids' backgrounds. Sometimes they don't have that person to go to, uncle, auntie, or parent to um, seek advice. I suppose on could be small things, financial. Yeah, transport, getting to work. Transport, on time. financial options. It's um, and just guiding them, putting so a little bit of structure into their lives. So do you feel like that you've become more than just that employer who's employing someone to do a trade? There's a lot more guidance and support that you're offering there as well? Yeah, oh, you do, definitely. You're not just an um, employee, you sort of, you're not their father, but you, you're sort of a little bit like their father trying to guide them, you know, making sure they're getting to work on time, trying to explain to them that, you know, we need to be at work at this time, we finish at this time. Um, and having some good tradesmen, that are non-Indigenous, that understand the pathway I'm going on and, and making sure they support it, which is really good and they do that. So Yeah, that's that because if we're going to educate the community and educate people and mm. support each other, definitely you're going to have to take your whole staff on board and, and for the ride on yeah, definitely. what does this look like. And they do, and that was the that was the key, I suppose, because I'm, you know, I'm not dark to look at. So a lot of the stuff I heard on construction sites or any sort of project, there's a lot... There's still a lot of racism and I, yeah, I just got sick of listening to it and uh, so I've had a few verbal altercations, I suppose, with people back in those. I've grown up a lot more now and and I've just learned to accept it and move on and some people you'll never change, so. No, because there's a lot of education that was missed for people 30, 40 plus years ago and how do you embed that way of thinking when they grew up with such a different way? It is, yeah, it is hard. So uh, that's the other reason, you know, I thought, well, I'll just get, I'll start my own business. I'll get some young Indigenous boys and girls and and that's what's happened now. And then we're winning electrical packages on projects. We're coming in. um, We get a few funny looks. But um, now we're starting. The the change I see is with the new generation or even some of the older generation, our Indigenous boys and girls are now mingling with... Um, the guys that looked at us a bit funny at the start of the project, you know, these Indigenous, non-Indigenous guys have become friends and and maybe do social things yeah. on the weekend together. That's whether great. Whether footy or having that a drink That just gave me pub. goosebumps when you said about walking onto a job site. What's that been like walking onto a job site with your colleagues, your employees? It's hard, yeah, because you do get a few funny looks. Back. Yeah, there's a lot of pre-assumptions of, you know, depending on who you talk to, Murray Fuller's probably not smart enough to be electricians all that all that sort of stuff that's um mm. it's hard to swallow so we come on site um, and on a lot of the projects we've delivered on time on budget on one job zero defects and the first trade finished so they were blown away with what we're actually doing so yeah that's um that's something i'm trying to do in my lifetime i'd love to train up you know 20 30 or 40 apprentices and and hopefully they can be role models for their little brothers or little cousins. And, you know, there is a pathway. We don't all have to go down that same pathway and be, you know, dragged under that banner of you know, alcoholism, gambling, drugs. There is another pathway. Mm-hmm. And if you can, if you're brave enough, like you say, you can um, escape that, I think. And um, you can always say no. It's up to you. It's a personal thing. And um, go in a different direction. And be that person in the community like I'm trying to be. And And if you weren't that person in the community, that could be 20 or 30 people that are missed. So 
there's um, the so much to effect. gain yeah. from what you're trying to do and what you're trying to bring into the community. And there's so many elements, I think, to educating the community, but you're also educating um, men and women into a trade and That's showing right. them what they can do. And I'm because it was um, me, and I was I grew up in a um, in housing commission for a few years, and you know Rasmussen and and some of these areas. So I understand the background, and I understand where they come from. I understand the stigma around it too, but not having any money um, and going through that, and um, seeing your other friends that and their parents have things and they're educated. Um, my parents are educated, but um, yeah, just going through that age where i suppose you do remember things at at 11 12 and um it sort of sticks with you through life so i understand what these boys or girls are might be going through and i can see a pathway that they can go on and money's not success i don't think but i think if you can have a passion and this is my passion so this is why i do it keeps me going um yeah they can be successful in life and and i'll help them um no matter how old they are if they work for me if they don't work for me I try just to be that person they can ring up for a conversation if they don't have, you know, someone in their in their circle that has that understanding. So, mm. one big thing that's highlighted in your industry that there's you self-certify your own work that you do, mm-hmm. and is that a relatively new change in the industry? <clears throat> I couldn't give you an exact date, but I think it was late eighties. I think they took inspectors out, and this okay. is a uh, this is an issue I bring up. I'd like to see him come back to even up the playing field. So we, the more work I can get, the more opportunities I can give. Um, but for me to compete with big companies is, it's nearly impossible. Mm. Um, they want to work for margins that aren't sustainable. We can't work for those margins, and unfortunately, the world's driven by money and and cash flow and, and profits and. It's it's tough for us to win work, so we just have to. Um, we're not going to lessen our standard, so we think we work to a high standard and deliver a good service. So, if we need to drop that standard to win a project, we just walk away from it. And if no one's inspecting work that an electrician's doing at a lesser standard, well, what leg do we have to stand on? Mm. Do you mean like so? If someone's building a home and electrical work gets done. Does, so no one comes in and certifies that work, council or any other? No one part. oversees it. It's all self-certified. But well, we've got a pretty stringent rule book that we need to work to. But if they work to that or not. But with plumbing, um, that has to be checked off and approved by council through building That's process, right. doesn't it? And they have a QBCC license too. So there's other contractual agreements there, I suppose, or compliance they need to meet to keep their qbcc where the electrical industry is self-certified so um i'd never mention companies but there's a lot around that do rough work they're not training guys properly um from what i've seen and the people i talk to so they're more using apprentices for four years of cheap labor and then on your way we'll get the next group through so um, it seems to be getting better, I think. So they're pretty stringent now on the one-to-one ratio with a tradesman to apprentice. I've seen companies with one tradesman on site and 10 apprentices. You can understand the, the product or service you're going to get. Um, but not only that, setting the apprentices up for failure. Big time. So we're retraining 
tradesmen when they come out of their time coming from certain companies and it's disgraceful um, and it's dangerous and um, I don't know what the answer is but when you've got a a building company um, we're trying to win projects for um, screwing the margins down in the end we just lost hope and we don't do many projects anymore unfortunately which I suppose doesn't help me engaging more apprentices I got think three phone calls last week you know, Mick, my daughter, she's Indigenous, and my son and, and my nephew wants an opportunity to be a Sparky. And I'm like, well, you do, you miss one. Where do they end up? But, um, yeah, going back to the subject, yeah, I don't know where it is with electrical inspectors and if they'd ever bring that back. But I can guarantee you if they brought them back, it would even up the playing field with quoting jobs and, um, yeah, compliance and... The cowboys would only do a couple of jobs and, and lose a lot of money and then realise that, well, we're going to have to start doing things properly and training our guys up and, and working to a decent standard. So, yeah, some of the frustrations in our industry. Yeah, I can hear it. Mm. What did COVID do to your business um, last year? Um, I don't know, not a great deal, to be honest. We still stayed fairly busy at the initial stage. We were doing a project, a mine camp, actually at the time, so we were lucky. We could we could still work. We had to take all the precautions, you know, two people to a vehicle, all that sort of stuff, yeah. the masks and and that. Some of our clients, um, we contract up and down the east coast, up to Thursday Island, down the east coast to sort of Brisbane and out to Mount Isa. So some of those communities were a little bit worried about us coming in, you know, from different whether you're coming from Townsville or Cairns or and it was hard to understand if we could go there or if we couldn't go there and the rules were changing and I was just like, I'm getting lost. I think one guy went to somewhere north of Brisbane for a triathlon. He came back, had to do two weeks quarantine. So then our staff numbers were down and it was frustrating. But um, we kept working. I don't think we ever really got locked down because we are an essential service. Um, so as a business, we were really fortunate compared to a lot of the other the other stories I hear down south which are pretty sad so they are yeah we you're right we have been considerably very lucky here in the Townsville community in North Queensland um, compared to down south so definitely a sunshine state mm, definitely you mentioned earlier on in the piece um you have a, your daughter when she was when you were 21 22 yep. so you're a father now of three that's right do they know the story around what you're doing and why you're doing it and how involved have they been in that journey with you yeah to a point they understand what i'm trying to do um i suppose they're still young themselves so and they're on their own pathway in life but yeah they see what i do um they talk to the boys Currently, I don't have any girl apprentices, so we'll get there eventually. But, yeah, they see the pathway I'm on. And and I think, um, yeah, I suppose they're pretty proud of what I'm trying to do. I, I explain to them that um, you know, we're not millionaires or anything, but we get through life fairly well. And I try and explain, you know, where some of these um, other guys are coming from and, and how hard they're going to have to do it in life. And they probably don't get the same... Um, what would you call it you can have opportunity but if if you're not financial a lot of the time whether it's sport or education or you can't go to that next level because um, 
sometimes there isn't grants to help people that aren't as fortunate, I think, in life. So, mm. like I tell my kids, you're very lucky. Um, if you want to play a sport, I can help you. We can buy the clothing, we can buy the sporting equipment, but other kids don't sit in that same boat. So, um, so I suppose without going off onto a tangent, that's what I'm trying to do. Just explain to them that they're, they're very lucky in the position they're in. Um, when I was their age, I wasn't as lucky. Yeah. So what was growing up like for you? You mentioned you grew up in, in um, Kelso. So you're a Townsville born and bred? or Yeah, Townsville. Um, moved around a little bit. My dad was in the army, so he bounced around a few different towns. Um, I think I was about 10. I lived with mum for probably that age till about 12, 13. Then got moved from Townsville to Brisbane and did more high schooling there. I enjoyed it because I got to go down there and play um, cricket in Brisbane and, and a few years there, so and live with my father, and um, yeah, probably didn't um, set the world on fire and sort of caught up in probably the wrong crowd, to be honest. Luckily, I was with my father because I probably wouldn't have finished my high schooling, which is another avenue I sort of understand with with kids at that sixteen. 15, 16, 17, when I went through it, you know, I wasn't a scholar. I struggled. I didn't want to be at school. I was disinterested. They tried to push me out of school because, you know, my attitude wasn't there. But it was other things too. Are you still finished school? I finished school, yeah, I had to. Which is, yeah, amazing because years ago, um, we looked a similar age, um, dropping out of school was quite easy. Grade 10 certificate. Yeah, yeah. That's when you see most dropouts and they'd either get a trade or go off and do something or just get a job. But dropping out of school these days is not as easy. Um, I don't think so, no. no. Well, we had the conversation, to be honest. I'll be open and honest. I was, you know, dragged to the, the principal's office in high school to say um, to a point where we don't think Michael should continue school. He should um, – I don't think it was compulsory – no, it I wasn't. think he should take his grade ten certificate and um, probably move on. So that's a that's somewhere I was at in life. What did that do for you when that like? Because that could either go, yeah, I'm out of here. Well, pretty much or attitude that could wise. Go, I'm gonna pull my socks up. So where'd you go? I was happy to go. To be honest, yeah, yeah, I was like, right, eh? Did you know where you were going? No, didn't have a clue. <laughs> But like I had a disciplined father, I suppose, with that army background that, you know, was a bit more of the lawns of, no, you're not finishing school, you're finishing grade 12. Um, and, yeah, sort of put me in good stead. So so he was the man, I suppose, I'm trying to be with some of the less fortunate or kids that don't want to... I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be at school. Yeah, and at the time you would have hated him for it. Hated everything, yeah, yeah at, at some stage. But now you look back on it. Yeah, finished school, got a job, moved back here. I was happier back up here. And yeah, went from there. So I suppose those the things that you go through in life at influential ages sort of affect you. Yeah. Um, and that's what I look at now. Now that I'm 38 and I look at these fellas and think, yeah, you mightn't think I know what you're going through, but I do. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned your dad then, and obviously I'm going to say he's been a big influence in your life. Probably at mm. the time you didn't like it, but... Now you look back on it and how influential he was. Who are the, who else has been influential in your life along your stepping stones? Through that time period, obviously my mother, um, she's helped a lot. A few uncles I was sort of tight with. At the time I thought, yeah, these are, these are probably some of the guys I want to be 
like until I got a little bit older and thought, no, I don't think this is what I want to be. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really have anyone to inspire to be, to be honest. And then I was pretty self-driven, I suppose, from there. Where do you think that comes from? I honestly don't know. I think it's, I don't know if you're born with it or um, done the hard yards, had a lot of mates, didn't do the hard yards, you know, parents well off, everything's handed to them. I'm working my ass off to buy a $1,000 car so I can get to work, um, you know, stuff like that. Not having enough money to put fuel in the car to get to work. Um, so I think if you get, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, a bit of a tough upbringing, no free handouts, you're made to work for everything. Um, and that's what I did. And that's how I've built my business too. I've worked from ground up. I've never got a loan to run my business. Um, I drove a little shitbox car for three years and um, saved a lot of money there and just saved money, saved money, invested back into the business, kept investing back into the business. and While you're supporting your family as well. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And, you know, spending a fair bit of money on those guys too with um, whatever their ambitions are in life to try and have them on the front foot because I, you That's know, what you do as a unfortunately parent, yeah. didn't get that opportunity. So, um, yeah, that's that's sort of where we're at there. Yeah. You've mentioned about taking on and through the life of this 20 to 30 apprentices um, through the to support Indigenous community and, and people in that space. Uh, what, what else do you want to see um, in, in your business go? Yeah, I've always wanted to target a, an Indigenous community and help maybe start a business there, whether they subcontract to us for a few years and and I can help nurture them and then they can help inspire a community. That's something I've always wanted to do, target one or two Indigenous communities, train the guys up, who knows what happens in 10 or 20 years after that, and then um, we talk about them being self-sustainable. So... Well, I think that's key and that's something I was always passionate about. So I've looked at and seen things in my lifetime where I think we're, we're paying guys from Cairns to go up through the Cape to these communities and charging rates that are just phenomenal to go and fix a couple of lights because there's no sparkies in town. And so I'm thinking, well, why isn't there sparkies in town? Water contractors keep coming into these communities, pulling all the funding out. It's exorbitant it's it's madness from what i've seen personally so we're starting to um engage a little bit on palm island i've had a few discussions there we're doing some work at the moment with them and and they're starting to understand that i am passionate and i I do do what i say i'm going to do and they've got a really good uh mayor there now and a and a good ceo and and works infrastructure managers and and staff there and i think their main focus is job opportunities too for the next generation so and if they want if they want to train up a few guys to be electricians well i think i'm the man to um to help them get there so mick thanks for joining me today no worries look forward to watching and following your journey and um, seeing where you take it yeah thank you BRAVE is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. 
This podcast is produced by Damien Lawarden.